Well, we are in a series called Heroes of the Faith. And this series um, is going to lead us right into Advent, which as Pastor Kathleen said, we're all excited about. But we're talking about just ordinary people who are people of faith in the Bible, who God's used, and how it inspires us to be people of faith. People who are heroic in big and small ways to be able to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Our theme verse for this series has come from Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Would you read this with me aloud? Let's say it together. Matthew 5, 16 reads, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Heroes say yes to doing the right thing. Not only the right thing, they are ordinary people make a difference because they say yes to doing the right thing. But they also are heroes because they say yes to doing the right thing in the right moment for the right season. And we see this all throughout scriptures. Different aspects of heroism show up in scripture. And in the story of Esther, which we started last week, which you can go online and listen to the podcast. But we started last week going through Judges and talking about the story of Deborah. And we talked about Deborah being a, a, a hero. We talked about Barak being a hero. And we are talking about different aspects of heroism. The empowered leader was Deborah. She was the one who was the prophetess, the one called by God to lead Israel in a time when all of Israel did whatever they wanted to do because they had no king. And so God appointed judges and Deborah was that judge who became the empowered leader. Then we had the hesitant leader who was Barak, and he was the one who was the warrior who was going to fight the battle on behalf of God's people. Uh, but he said, I, I don't want to go forward unless you, Deborah, are right with me in battle. And, and for her, that reflected a hesitancy, a, an insecurity in what God already said was going to happen. And so uh, she said that in this case, that means that the the hero of the story will actually be a woman, which we assume means Deborah, but today we're going to hear that there's an unsuspected hero. We're going to continue in our story. So let's turn with me, if you would, to Judges chapter 4. We're going to head right into the story, starting in verse 4, and we'll recap a little bit here. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Labadoth, was leading Israel at the time, and she held court under the palm of Deborah between, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. Now I'm going to stop right there. You have this beautiful picture of these palm trees. And this week, I was at um, a volleyball game for my daughter, and we're at the school in Lakefield. How many people are from Lakefield area? Anybody here? Maybe Oh, a few. Look at this right here. So at the public school there, you go into the foyer, and there's these beautiful palm trees there. There's multiple palm trees similar to this picture, and then in, in between the palm trees are little ch are chairs that students can probably sit at and relax, or, or maybe they need a break from the class, and so they go and they go sit there outside the library. It's this beautiful, relaxing place. And this wonderful woman uh, who was there watching her granddaughter, she came and she sat down before the game in one of those armchairs, and I thought, there's Deborah, right there, sitting among the palm trees in her wisdom, in her experience, being able to give uh, wisdom and support to the next generation. Well, we continue on. The Israelites, they went up to Deborah at the palm that was named after her to have their disputes decided. And so she sent for Barak, and we talked about this, the fact that he, she says, go take with you 10,000 men. 
Go and take with you this army and go and be able to fight, uh, lead those men and up to Mount Tabor. And I will lead Sisera, who's the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. And Barak said to her, if you go with me, I'll go. And if you don't, I won't go. And she said, certainly I'll go with you. And, and I've already told you this story, so you've got it really deep in your head. And every good story, though, you hear the stories of the heroes, and then you hear the stories of the protagonist or the one who is the villain. And so we are getting this picture of this military army led by Sisera, the commander of, the, of Jabin's army, and he has 900 chariots and troops. And he was known to be vicious, relentless, would go in and, and, and completely destroy this, the cities. This was the land of Canaan. This was where they had been taken, the promised land, to be over, overtake the promised land. But what would happen is eventually the people of God, they would, they would compromise. They would take on the practices of the Canaanites. They would stop serving God, the one God, only God. And in those moments, God would give them over to their enemies and their enemies would, would take over and then they would have to fight back. But God would raise up leaders who would be able to help them to overcome. And so in this story, no exception, there's a villain and his name's Jabin who's ruling the Canaanites in the north and his commander Sisera was a wicked and violent, ruthless man. And so we have the plot thickening. Sisera gets word that Barak has done exactly what the Lord has told him to do through Deborah, which was to gather the armies and go up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera summons from Harasheth, Hagelim to the Kishon River, all his men and his 900 hundred chariots fitted with iron. But then we see a secondary plot. If you look through the scriptures, where there's another piece of the story. Look at verse 11 with me. It says, now Heber, the Kenite, excuse me, the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law. So there's a connection to Israel. And pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. This is an ordinary family with some ties to Israel doing their own thing in a kind of, in a, in a zone that was uh, where they would not be suspected either way to have allegiance with one or the other. And here we have Hibber and his wife, which we'll hear about in a moment, called Yael or Jael. So it leads to this question. How do ordinary people, ordinary people, step into God's story. How do just ordinary, everyday people minding their own business suddenly step into God's story? Psalm 37, verse 23 to 24, it's one of my favorite scriptures, and I'm, I'm sure it's familiar to many of you. It says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Another scripture says, the Lord, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. If you're wondering if God is watching over your story, read this, Psalm 121, 
Verse one says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Verse three, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse seven says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Would you turn to someone who came with you today and say, the Lord is watching over your steps. Okay, say it again, but this time a little more smile, a little more smile. The Lord is watching over your steps. <laughs> and here is the first part of the answer to this question. How do people step into God's story? Like this family is about to step into God's story. This, this unsuspected hero is about to step into this big story and plot line. Ordinary people step into God's story by God's design. He's the author of your story from before the beginning of your story. Just as Deborah prophesied the hero of the story, so God has spoken Jesus as the hero of your story. And he's chosen you to follow him if you choose to respond to him. And so Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 6, a great passage of scripture, uh, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This is God's love for you that he would choose you ahead of creation, that he would send his son to die for you in the efforts to bring you into the kingdom. Of course, we believe that we have free will. The scripture talks so much about how we have been given this free, free will to choose or not to choose to follow Jesus. But when we do choose to follow him, we are able to experience the fullness of the gospel message, the life that gives the life-giving message of Jesus, which changes everything. Tim Keller, he, he says this great quote: "The gospel is this: We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And that's powerful. My sister was telling me this story at Thanksgiving. And, uh, and I, I had forgotten about the story. I mean, she's been married for many, several, several years and has two children and, and a house and a dog and all this stuff. And so Krista was telling me the story and I, I messaged her this morning. Are, are you okay if I tell a story? And she gave me permission to tell, I can tell stories about her anytime I want. Isn't that a gift? <laughs> from my younger sister. I can tell stories about her anytime I want. So I'm gonna pick a good one. No. <laughs> no, this is a great story. So my sister tells me about this fact that uh, Mark, my brother-in-law, had given her this engagement ring and she loved it and she wore it and they were engaged for a year before they got married. Which, by the way, 
Kathleen's not joking. We were all up very late last night. <laughs> we, I'll tell you the reason why. Cameron, our account manager, got married to Brianna Mills last night. Now they're Cameron and Brianna Bell. Yes. So they're not with us today. I don't know why. We invited them. They could have came to church, but they, they didn't come to church today. Um, but what a beautiful day when you celebrate a man and a woman getting married and that they're going to spend the rest of their lives together. And so uh, my sister and Mark, they had made this decision and so to, to be engaged and to get married. And just before the wedding, they did what a lot of people do, which is take your wedding ring or your engagement ring to the jeweler and get them to clean it. And so they took the wedding ring, the engagement ring to the jeweler that was actually a family friend that he had actually done the wedding band for Mark's parents, which was kind of special. And, and so they, he always wanted to have the same jeweler do the, their ring. And so he did. And he, he was nearing retirement and just a lovely man. He was so glad to be able to do that. So took the ring back. His brother, the brother-in-law, the best man, went to get the ring. And when he gets there, the owner of the jewelry shop shares this secret that he didn't mean to hide, <laughs> that didn't mean to happen. But whenever he would put the jewelry back after the family had picked the ring or the diamond, in the diamond, he would take the diamond out, put it in, safety, in a safety box or, or wherever they would keep them with the name on it. And then he put a glass diamond into just like a glass that wasn't a diamond, just a, a glass stone into the engagement ring, or the rings that he had there on display, in, in holding, in case he ever got robbed. So the, the diamonds weren't right there on site. He always would put the diamond back in before giving the purchase to the purchaser. But he had forgotten. <laughs> and so when he goes to clean it, he realized there is not a real diamond in this engagement ring that she's been wearing for a year. <laughs> and so they, uh, thankfully, the jeweler was very honest. He puts the real diamond, because he still has it with their name on it, in safekeeping, and puts it in the ring, and she gets the ring, and it's shinier than ever. Wow. <laughs> it's a really nice ring for her wedding day. I just, I felt like the Lord just impressed this on my heart this week. For some of you, you have this spirituality, but it's not faith in Jesus. You've been wearing it for a while, but as you, you bring your heart to be cleansed before the God of the universe, as you may know him to be, he wants to introduce you to the real deal. He wants to introduce you to Jesus who's not only the likeness of God, but God himself in the flesh. He is the hero. This is the invitation to all of us today, amen? And some of you know what that feels like. You know that time when you were, you were searching and it was a good thing and you were, you were asking about the right, the right questions about life and about God and about after death and you, you were asking the right question. But once you received by faith Jesus, you understand what it meant to receive salvation, what it meant to have life to the full. So why, why am I talking about salvation in regards to a story about this unsuspecting hero in the book of Judges? Well, it's because the unsuspected hero brings salvation. 
every story of salvation for Israel was because God sent salvation to them. And the story of salvation pointed them always to God's ultimate plan of Messiah and the Savior, Jesus Christ. That was the purpose for all the salvations along the way in their history. And here we are in this moment in time where we are looking for a hero for many people. Can I remind you today it's Jesus? It's Jesus. All along, he intended to bring salvation to you and I. If only we would remember that he is the God who's ordered our steps and that he chose us before time began to follow him. We just need to say yes to him today. So ordinary people, they understand that that God has called them, that they're part of their story, but ordinary people step up into God's story because this truth that we hear today that God goes before them. He goes before them. Never underestimate the significance of God going ahead of you into battle. Let's go back to the text, Judges chapter four, verse 12 to 14. It says, when they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera again summoned all of the men on his 900 chariots fit with iron. And then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day that God has given you, given Sisera into your hands. Did you know that was the role of the prophet in battle? They would say, attack now, move this way, change direction. They actually were giving the strategy on behalf of the Lord to the mighty warriors. But here's the thing. She says these words, has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And of course we think that's just maybe rhetoric. Maybe it's just like a a war cry that she gives them, but in fact, Something stood out to me that I had to look a little bit further. And if you flip in your scriptures to Judges chapter 5, we see uh, the summary of what took place. We see Deborah's song of praise for the victory that they would have in this circumstance. And in the scriptures, if you look, just read through that at, through chapter five and you see all of, of what God's saying and what Deborah's saying in song and, and that on that day that they're singing this song of praise. Verse four says this, O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, The clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord. The one of of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. And we may think this is symbolic, but the actual thought is that literally rain started to pour supernaturally. It's like when you came in, you didn't expect that snow was gonna join you this morning at church. But there it was. And suddenly, we see that Judges 5 testifies that the rains and floods came onto Sisera's army. What was Sisera's army known for? 900 chariots. How well do chariots do in mud? Not well. See, there's this moment, there's this strategy, there's this timing 
when the Lord says, now, now is the time. This is the season to take the territory God has made available to you. And they walk and they step into it because they recognize, Deborah recognizes that the Lord has gone before them. They can say yes, ordinary soldiers, ordinary people of God. They can say yes because they realize that God goes before them. Never estimate that God goes before you. In the choices you're making in life, God goes before you. Don't be afraid. So the Bible says, verse 14 in chapter 4, Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And at Barak's advance, the Lord rooted Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and he fled by foot. Everyone else dies by the sword, but the leader, the enemy, he gets off and he, he hightails it. A little bit of a coward at heart, wouldn't you say? And here's the spoiler alert. Here's our unsuspected hero, Yehel, the wife of Heber, invites Sisera into her tent, the Bible says. When she, he sees her, the tent, he's, he's in this little village and he sees this woman comes out and she invites him, come, come, hide here, come. She invites Sisera into her tent as a safe refuge, a place to hide from his enemies. She even gives him a little blankie to make him comfortable. <laughs> he asks for water, she gives him warm latte right there. I mean milk, <laughs> warm milk to help him sleep. And he says, here's the words on the screen here, stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up, here we go, hold, embrace, brace yourself. <laughs> she picks up a tent peg, and these are big tent pegs. These aren't the ones you go camping in Algonquin with. These are thick, huge, industrial size. This is their home, a tent peg and a hammer, and went quietly to him, the Bible says, while he lay asleep, exhausted. And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground. You should have some shock right now. <laughs> We've heard it a few times, so sometimes it just kind of floats by. But it's, it's gruesome. She, she actually drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. In a season when the images, okay, I'm sorry, this is not going to translate well. So he died, okay? It's un, I don't know the whole story. I don't know why this ordinary woman suddenly feels compelled to invite the most dangerous, violent offender into her home, but somehow the God of Israel is still deep inside. The stories of Moses have been passed down and she, she's not in the camp with Israel, but she is in her heart. And God calls her in this moment to defend the people of God. I want to fast forward to where we are right now. I want you to just stay with me for just a minute. In a season when the images of war 
on television and conflict, including in Israel and Gaza, are so incredibly devastating and difficult to watch. In a time where it may sound like speaking of these conflicts of old are glorifying war and encouraging violence, I'm telling you, that won't preach to a new generation. So, so let's hold this intention right now. In a time where it may sound like speaking of these conflicts of old are glorifying war and encouraging violence, it's not the case. It's not the case. Do not take scripture out of context. May I remind you of the New Testament today, of the new kingdom Jesus brought in, that he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Why do the Old Testament gruesome stories of war and images of violence, why, why can we still pull lessons from them, even though they don't necessarily reflect who this Jesus was when he was walking and talking and healing the sick, and they wanted him to rise up and bring the kingdom, and he's like, hmm, let me tell you what the kingdom looks like. We can take the messages from old, we can translate them to the, big, to the new right now because of the fact that not only Jesus reminds us of his kingdom, but Ephesians 6, Paul talks about what the real battle has always been about. The real battle, even for Israel, has always been about. Ephesians 6, 12, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Say, not against flesh and blood. Not against any nation, not against any flesh person, nationality, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, and they're talking about rulers and authorities in the spiritual realm, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's put this picture up here. If you're feeling like there's a struggle happening in the world, there is a struggle happening in the world. Do you know what that struggle is? against the forces of evil, against the darkness, because his light just wants to shine. Remember every battle, every salvation for the people of God was to lead them towards Messiah and their need of surrender to the Messiah. May Messiah come, amen? May he return and may he bring the peace that only he can bring. Okay, I may be going off track here, but what can we learn with this full understanding of scripture about ordinary people stepping into God's story? Ordinary people like you and I have victory when we've identified the real enemy. And remember, he's already defeated. Yeah, you can clap for that. He's already defeated. In the Garden of Eden, beginning of our story, Eve was promised it. There would be enmity between her and the serpent who deceived her and her offspring, that her offspring would one day crush the serpent's head under his feet, but he would only bruise her offspring's heel. Yehel, she's a daughter of Eve in many ways. She's also foreshadowing what one day would happen, that the enemy would be defeated. Just 
when he thought he was safe from defeat, just when Jesus is dead on the cross, the enemy may have thought he had victory, but if he knew the scripture, which he did know the scriptures fairly well, he was in that moment defeated because Christ took on the sins of the world so that death would be defeated. He rose again from the dead so that we could have life and life eternal. This is the hope we have. And yea, hell, just like you and I can come into this bigger story and Yehel, she became the unsuspected hero in the story of Deborah. The prophecy is fulfilled, but not necessarily in the manner people, even Barak might have thought Deborah's gonna get the credit for this. Deborah said a woman would be given the glory, but it wasn't the charismatic leader up front. It was the ordinary person inside their tent with a warm cup of milk to offer and a tent peg in her courageous hand to say, the enemy doesn't get to win today. He's already defeated. If you need victory in your life today, if you need the reassurance in your heart that no matter what battle you're facing, that you're not really facing a battle of flesh and blood, that there is an enemy of your soul that wants to stop you from being free and feeling full of joy and feeling full of hope and feeling victorious. There is an enemy to your soul, but he was defeated by Christ. You receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Everything doesn't become smooth and wonderful and easy, but instead you're able to walk in victory knowing that you have overcome, that he has already overcome He's the true victor. But wait, there's one more hero. Judges 5, and with this I'm going to call the worship team up. Judges chapter 5, I explained to you. So now the battle, the, the people, the enemy are defeated. The leader of the army is defeated by one brave act of one ordinary person. And we see the people of God now celebrating. And do you know that this chapter five of Judges is actually known as being one of the, the, oldest, um, the oldest of scriptures, of the original scriptures that have been put together, the original manuscripts. This Judges five goes way back, Deborah's song. In verse two, begins this chapter, it's verse, let's start at verse one. It says, on that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang the song. We've talked about this before. This is part of, this is part of the, the culture of the day. You win a battle, you sing about it. You, you, you shout victory. You, you write lyrics. You remember them. You tell them to your children. You pass it down from generation to generation. The victory that's been yours through God. And it says, when the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. This stood out to me in a, in a big way. I actually, I shared it with our board in an email correspondence because I thought of the victory of the heroes in the story way ahead of time when we were planning what would be our Heroes of the Faith series. And I, and I thought of Deborah, I thought of Brock, and then the unsuspected, unexpected, unsuspected hero, Yale. 
But I didn't realize there was more, there were more heroes that the scripture talks about. Let me, let me read it to you from the Living Bible because it's another way to say it, but it, it maybe makes it a little clearer. It says, then Deborah and Barak sang this song about the wonderful victory. Praise the Lord. Israel's leaders bravely led and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, that's how God has placed us together in, in the body of believers. That there's people who are up front that may prophesy, that may give these words of knowledge from God. There's these mighty warriors who will take the strategy and run with it and they'll just, they'll just take and they'll gather all the people to do so. And then there's these ordinary people who come out from the sidelines who God just uses them in those moments. You're like, wow, God used that person in such a, in a magnificent way. But really, here's where the praise goes. It says the Israel's leaders, Deborah, the, the mighty warriors, they, they led, but the people at large gladly followed. You and I can be heroes of faith Sometimes just by following what God has placed on the hearts of those in leadership, what God has confirmed in your hearts and your family's heart, and God can move in a mighty way through the people of God. No one is accepted or is not included, excluded from the list of heroes. There's the collective heroes that matter in the kingdom. Heroes are ordinary people who make a difference because they say yes to doing the right thing in the right time in the right season because the Holy Spirit of God doesn't live in just one person, doesn't just lead one team. The Holy Spirit works in all of our lives when we've called and accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. So today we're all gathered in a place that is surrounded by palm trees. Did you know that? <laughs> in a sense, you're in a safe place. You are in a safe place where you can get the wisdom of the Holy Spirit for your circumstances. The wisdom of Holy Spirit for the difficult trial or battle you're trying to overcome as a family. You're in a safe place under the palm of Deborah, under the palm of spirit-led leaders here today to be able to talk to God directly and say, God, I need you to reveal to me Jesus in all of this. I need the real thing. And the Holy Spirit will meet you there. The Bible says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. It's a promise that never fails. May you be encouraged today as we close in this time of worship together, as we call out to Holy Spirit to, to just reveal to us who he is, remind us of the hope that we have. May I encourage you today to take this time to seek the Lord on behalf of you, yourself, on behalf of your family, your tribe, your circle of influence, and collectively on behalf of the church today.